This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium and to all of you listening in on our flagship station, AM740 Zoomer Radio, 50,000 watts of peace, love, and truth. Welcome. All of you listening in on one of our great affiliates south of the 49th, a big hearty how-do to you as well. And speaking of which, I want to welcome new affiliate, WRNN, Hot Talk 99.5 in Myrtle Beach. Uh, And to all of you listening in on the uh, podcast through zoomerradio.ca, talkzone.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or our new app, a free download from iTunes and Google Play, The Conspiracy Show. Uh, However and wherever you're listening, it's great to have you here. You're a great company, and uh, uh, I appreciate your support over the years. Tim Spreen is here, my technical producer, but he's leaving me. He's leaving me in a few weeks, moving on to greener pastures. Uh, Tim, it's been a pleasure working with you, Uh, but you're still mine for the next uh, couple of weeks. Albert Vinzel, my story producer, as always, is here. Uh, And as always, Albert has posted some great stories in the slide carousel atop of richardserrett.com, including uh, one about Bohemian Grove, where the uh, masters of the universe, uh, the movers and shakers who have more money than God, are gathering in the northern California town of Monterio for the last two weeks of July. Uh, Presumably they'll roast some weenies, canoe, do some archery, and anoint the next president of the United States. It's kind of like a summer camp for the unelected oligarchs, uh, Bohemian Grove. But I'm guessing their mothers don't sew their names on the inside of their underwear. (laughs) Or maybe they do. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to picture Henry Kissinger at the uh, Bohemian Grove summer camp writing a letter home. Uh, Dear mommy, having a wonderful time here in Monterio. Uh, we danced naked around the giant owl last night. The food is terrible. Uh, the boys and I have decided to buy grease. I miss you. Signed, your little Henry. Uh, you can read all about uh, Bohemian Grove. Again, it's in the slide carousel at richardserrett.com. And uh, let me spell that for you. Uh, 20 years in, uh, in the business, and I'm still spelling my name. However, uh, Richard Serrett, and that's S as in Simon. S as in Simon. Why? Because I love you. R-E, T as in Tom, T as in Tom. That's richardserrett.com. Hey, George Norrie, host of the Behemoth, Coast to Coast AM is standing by. And as you may or may not know, from time to time, I get uh, the phone call and I get asked to sit in and guest host on Coast. And it's always an honor and great fun. And I'm delighted George is uh, going to join us. And he will in just a few moments. But he is coming to town. In the Flesh, August the 22nd, at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre at the uh, CNE, which is just a stone's throw from my studio here in Liberty Village. He's bringing Alex Jones with him and uh, Nick Pope. 
uh, along for what promises to be quite a show. I'm going to be there, and we'll tell you how to get tickets a little later. But let's bring in the man himself. George Norrie, host of the nationally syndicated program Coast to Coast, says if he weren't a national radio talk show host, he'd be in politics. Heard by millions of listeners, Coast airs on approximately 564 stations in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Guam. Uh, But before Coast, George enjoyed an extensive career in broadcasting. He started in radio at WCAR in Detroit, where his first ever interview was with nuclear physicist and UFO expert Canada's own Stanton Friedman. And from 74 to 78, he served as a news producer, executive news producer at WJBK-TV. And at 28, get this, he became the youngest major market news director in the United States at KMSP-TV in Minneapolis. Uh, And if that's not enough, he also has co-authored a number of books, including 2009's Journey to the Light. Uh, That was followed up by uh, another one in 2011. Uh, he released his third book called Talking to the Dead, co-written by our good friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And in February of this year, George, along with Richard Belzer and David Wayne, released Something is Hide, or Someone rather, is Hiding Something, What Happened to Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. And to top it all off, he's just launched a unique online dating service called ParanormalDate.com. We'll find out what that's all about. We're going to chat a while, and then we'll open up the phone lines and give you a chance to ask George some questions, and we'll uh, we'll try and trend here. Uh, questions for George also. Uh, you can trend at hashtag Nori Toronto, hashtag Nori Toronto. I believe we've reached him in L.A. tonight. George, how are you? I'm fine, Richard, and thank you for filling in for me on Coast to Coast. You do a marvelous job for us. Oh, I appreciate that, George. You're always so gracious. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you uh, once again August 22nd when you roll into town. This is going to be quite a show. Alex Jones uh, and uh, and, uh, Nick Pope. I'm looking forward to it. And let me set the stage right now where I am. I'm sitting outside in Beverly Hills, California, looking at a partially half moon. It's a little more than half. It's outside. There are palm trees all around me. It is my day off today, and I'm just looking forward to this interview with you this hour. And I'm just sitting back. It's like 70 degrees out, and it just doesn't get much better than this, Richard. It doesn't. It doesn't, George. And we're delighted that you would spend a part of your day off with us. Uh, I mentioned off the top that if you weren't in uh, broadcasting, you'd be in uh, in politics. And I'm kind of a political animal myself. I mean, I, I, I love to observe it, but I'm a kind of a political atheist. Although I, I do want to get your your uh, a few words, your your sense of uh, Donald Trump, who is just he's got the, the, the GOP apoplectic. He's a wrecking ball. But I'm enjoying this guy. What do you what do you think of Donald Trump? Well, he's got the the chutzpah, as we would say. I mean, he's a no-nonsense person. He's very blunt. He says it the way he means it. Sometimes he says it the way he shouldn't, but he just spells it out there. I think he's refreshing, Richard, in that he just says it the way he feels. I mean, he's honest. You may not like him. You may like him, but he just lays it right out there. And I think that's what we need in politics these days. Instead of all the sugarcoating and lies and, you know, misnomers, we just need somebody to come out and give us the facts. You know, when you were reading my bio, I was half kidding when I said, hey, if I wasn't doing broadcasting, I'd go into politics. I want to get into politics, if I was going to do that, to simply help people tell the truth, 
and get the job done. You know, I had a platform years ago where I would have done away with the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, we would not have problems with Russia. I'd be going out with Putin for dinner and saying, hey, let's get this fixed. You don't want to get killed. I don't want to get killed. And we don't want to annihilate each other's countries. So with all that and that understanding, let's make this work for us. What's up? Georgia, and that's what we need in politics. And I think that's what the, the Donald is bringing this time. It's just like he does anything he wants. He says anything he wants. And he goes up in the polls. Exactly. Exactly. And because he's not beholden to anyone, because he's campaign, he's financing his own campaign. Uh, I mean, that makes him a, a huge threat to the the, the political class, the uh, you know the ruling class, uh, Democrats, Republicans, even the media. Uh, they don't know what to do with this guy because he. Uh, I think it was Senator Graham. They, they call him a wrecking ball because he can say anything because he's not beholden to anyone, and that is, as you say, very refreshing. He's not bought by anybody, so he simply sits back, says it the way he means it. Um, some of the things he has said on immigration, I would have tempered it a little bit. I know what he was trying to say. I mean, we are getting thugs and some um, undesirables into the country. But we're also getting a number of other people who are dedicated and they're looking for a better life and opportunity for themselves and their family. I think what everybody seems to lack and understand, and I should say everybody, but some people with regards to immigration is we're talking about illegal immigration here, not legal immigration. When we have legal quotas set by the Department of Immigration and Naturalization, those are goals and numbers that should be adhered to, and you come into this country in the right process. We're talking about illegal immigration, people who are breaking the law to come into the United States. Yes, they want a better life. There's no question about that. But they need to do it lawfully. And that, I think, is what Donald was trying to say. He just wasn't getting it across the right way. Is Mexico dumping their criminals and their low-life people across? Probably. Fidel Castro, Richard, did the same thing back in the 60s. That's right. He emptied, he emptied his jails and let all the criminals flee to the United States, and we took them. They landed in, Mexico, in, in Miami, and, you know, all these people of undesirable lives and history and reputation ended up in Miami because Castro emptied his jails and said, I don't want you. You go to the United States. And that's what they did. That's right. Uh, and and uh, if you look at Trump's um, position positions on a lot of policies. There, you put the rhetoric aside, he's actually pretty progressive and mainstream. There's nothing really he's saying he supports universal health care. He doesn't like Obamacare, but he supports universal health care. He doesn't want to dismantle Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. These are all pretty progressive policies that he has. There's absolutely no question that Donald Trump has his finger on the pulse of what most Americans need and what most Americans want. I, I think he'd be a pretty interesting uh, president. I think he would temper himself a little bit. He's kind of abrasive. Um, he's a toughie. I, I think he'd back down. I, I think once he's in the office and he's got that incredible title that we just cherish in this country, um, he'd be somewhat of a different guy. He wouldn't be as brash as he is. But he's not going to be pushed around. 
And, you know, he's going to meet with Israel. He'll meet with the Palestinians. He'll meet with the Russians. He'll meet with the Chinese. He already deals with the Chinese on his real estate ventures. He knows how to talk and negotiate. I think he'd be refreshing. Um, we get uh, very non-political, as you know, Richard, on Coast to Coast. But every once in a while, we've got to step outside the box and talk about candidates. We've got psychics who are on. John Hogue, an expert in Nostradamus, yes. has already predicted a Hillary Clinton-Jeb Bush election. Um, I'd like to get him back on pretty soon to ask him about Donald Trump, who was an unknown variable at the time. But uh, but big, the Vegas odds are still betting on Hillary and Jeb Bush. And but in a bizarre way, Hillary's a front-runner still. I have no idea how or why. Exactly, despite a, a people hu- who like her. A, despite a huge uh, unfavorable, uh, she's up around forty-nine uh, percent unfavorable rating. Anyway, George, uh, I don't want to belabor politics. Uh, George Norrie with us here from Coast to Coast AM, and uh, we are coming up on a break. But I, there is a, a cause that is very near and dear to your heart, and you've talked about it at length on on Coast, and have done a, a phenomenal job in raising awareness about this issue, and that is uh, the the need to um, harden our our grid system here in North America because of a a possible EMP event, electromagnetic pulse event, which could be a solar flare or it could be a man-made from a detonation of a a small nuclear device. We'll we'll talk about that. We'll also talk uh, about all things paranormal and, of course, his uh, brand new online dating service, very unique paranormaldate.com. George Norrie, coast to coast, and we're, uh, we're trending. Hashtag Nori Toronto. Questions and comments for George right here. Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. George Nori, host of Coast to Coast AM, is uh, with us. Uh, George, uh, we will uh, get along and talk about uh, paranormaldate.com, which is a, it's just a great idea, uh, and, and I want to find out about that. But let me get back to an issue that's very near to you. I, I've heard uh, people in the Pentagon speak out about uh, this. I have heard uh, many uh, intelligence experts, security experts that are very worried about the growing threat from an EMP attack in the United States, something that could knock out the power grid. Uh, and this is an issue that you have really embraced. What is it uh, about this particular issue issue uh, that has you so concerned. Did we lose George? I'm here. Oh, there you are, George. I'm sorry. Yeah, the I EMP. I not hear anything, but I'm here. All right. Let's run that one by you again. I wanted to talk about the, 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 the growing threat of an EMP attack. This is an issue that's very near and dear to you. Why? It sure is. I think we need to protect the power grid, Richard. As you know, Canada, several years ago, had a major outage as well. If we get hit by a major X flare from the sun, as we did in the 1800s. It was called the Carrington event. The only electrical systems we had going then was the telegraph system. It cooked it. It literally cooked it. Or if we have a nuke detonated high above the atmosphere, it'll shut down the power over the United States, over Canada, for for weeks, months, maybe years. And they are estimating that 90% of the people could be dead within one year if that happens, because nothing will work. You can't get water. You won't be able to get food. Money will mean nothing anymore. You can't pump gasoline. If it's done in the dead of winter, you're going to freeze to death in your house. If it's done in the summer, 
you're going to have uh, high heat and older people without air conditioning will get it. There will be no power. Think of life without power. Go one day without power. Do a test. You can't do it. It's, it's horrible. We need to insulate our power grid, and we need to fix it now. It's not a terribly expensive proposition. Uh, so why? I mean, I know the Senate held some hearings, I believe, last year on it, uh, but it's not getting a lot of traction on Capitol Hill. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It's almost like they want this to happen. They're foolish. It costs about $2 billion to insulate the power grid against something like this, and we should be doing it. It should be a national priority. Our presidential candidates should be using it as a national priority because, let me tell you, if we don't do this, it's going to be a disaster. We will get hit by an X-flare from the sun. We just dodged one a few years ago. Thank God it went out the side of the sun and we weren't faced directly toward it. If we were, it would have taken down the grid for some time. We don't have enough transformers to back up the systems. And that's part of the problem, too. We've got to fix this and fix this now. Mark my words, if we don't, one day we'll all be in the dark ages and people will say, God, I remember when George Norrie said this on Coast to Coast and on Richard Serrett's show. I remember that. Believe me, it's going to happen. Do you, uh, I, I don't know what your, your take is on, on Jade Helm 15. There's a lot of paranoia out there. Some sure, of it, I I've think, got, is just I've got my thing. Sure. You ask me the question. Well, I'm wondering whether uh, this EMP threat, uh, and, and it's just uh, all the experts say it's a question of when, not if. Uh, if this were to happen, uh, and we and we we're in the dark, uh, as you say, this could be it could take a decade to bring this back online, and people will be civil for the first forty eight hours, and then all hell will break loose. Do you think Jade Helm, in part, is preparing for an eventuality like that? Jade Helm has been set up to train the military against major civil disturbance, whatever causes it, whatever causes it. We saw what happened last summer in Ferguson, Missouri. We've seen what happened in Baltimore, Maryland during the police riots episode. Those are just a small inkling of some of the things that could happen. If the power grid goes out and people start robbing and looting, you know, we're going to need to have some kind of authority some type of uh, justice, and I think that's exactly what Jade Helm 15 is. It is training the military against anything that could happen in terms of civil disobedience, so they have to step in and curtail all this before it really gets out of hand. The problem is, even they will have problems once this happens. If the grid goes out, we have major issues. Now, on the other hand, if they're doing this merely to stop civil disobedience because of people who are simply fed up and ticked off, and they are. Well, that's another story. And that's, uh, again, training of people to step in and to keep things under control. Look, I love the police departments in, in the United States. There's some bad apples in the basket. There are police officers who are overzealous. They've shot people when they didn't have to. I can understand people being ticked off, Richard, and protesting and demonstrating. But the others who step in and burn buildings and loot buildings and smash cars, that's unacceptable. And you have to step in with authority to stop that. 
that is unacceptable in the United States, it's unacceptable in Canada, and it's unacceptable across the planet. That kind of disturbance has got to be stopped. You you spent uh, some time in in Detroit. I I, uh, I don't know if were you there in uh, during the, the the riots in July of sixty eight. I sure was. Yeah. I was a teenager. Yeah. Late teens. I mean, have you have you ever? I mean, does do you see similarities to what's going on now with racial tensions in the United States and and the fact that just so many people seem to be so on edge and angry with? Can you parallel this this time with let's say nineteen sixty eight? It's never gone away, Richard. Uh, it's it's always been the haves and the have-nots for people who are uptight. Racism uh, on the on the you know the perception of racism has gone away, but it's still there. It, there's an underlining factor there. There's some people there out there who are very racist, who hate minorities. There are minorities who hate some other people. I mean, it's there. It's prevalent. What's happening right now, and what I sense just by doing coast-to-coast on a nightly basis, and I'm sure you sense it too when you do your show or fill in for me. People are upset. They're ticked off. I can't use those words on radio, but they are just at a point where they've had enough. I always listen to that uh, song from Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It Anymore. Yes. People feel that way. That's exactly how people feel these days. How do you, I mean, when you're doing coast on a nightly basis, uh, does it ever, because there's so much doom and gloom, and, and that's, you know, part of obviously the world that we, we work in and we talk about these things. Does it get you down? How, and, and if so, how do you, how do you compartmentalize and, 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 and stay, maintain a, a healthy, positive attitude through all this? Nothing gets me down, because I always think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that eventually we're going to win out over all these atrocities which will face us. Uh, but I try to break up coast to coast. I mean, I can't do doom and gloom every night because it's too dang depressing. And I think people just need to be able to have variety. So once in a while, we'll do UFOs, we'll do Bigfoot shows, we'll do conspiracies, we'll do consciousness, we'll do alternative medicine, and then we'll do, of course, the realistic doom and gloom shows because they're there. You can't ignore it. But I have to balance it because if I don't, the audience will go crazy, not me, but they'll get to a point where they say, I can't take this anymore. It's too much. And I got to keep it balanced. The Coast listener, and, and I find my listeners too, the people that listen to late night radio are, are a different breed. I mean, you know, I, I think we would agree. We I don't can't hear you. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? George, can you hear me? We're having trouble. George, come in. Come in from L.A., George. Now I hear you. All right. (laughs) I don't know where the audio is going, but uh, I'm here. All right. Well, someone maybe is jamming us. But I was just I was commenting on on late night audiences and and how special they are. And and I often say, you know, people say, wouldn't you rather do morning radio or, you know, uh, do radio at a more reasonable hour? And this this type of programming wouldn't work at any other time. Uh, But uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you manage uh and i i do coast uh, on a weekend a saturday sometimes a sunday at the odd friday and i tell you it's it, it throws your schedule for a loop how do you how do you do it monday to friday weekend and week out uh and and stay healthy let me tell you something interesting i've been doing this program since 2003 richard i have uh, had 3 weeks of vacation each year times 
11, 12 years now, 12 years, I have 36 weeks of accrued vacation time. I've taken one week of vacation. Uh, I will take an occasional Friday, hence you fill in, um, in order to just get away for a little bit. But generally, I'm there on holidays. I'm there during the week. And I, I, I got to tell you, I get stronger and stronger as the weeks go on. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I am. And uh, I watch what I eat. I stay in great shape. You know, I'm an you know, alternative medicine freak. You know, I take supplements and all this, but I just don't stop. Coast to Coast is not only a job for me, it's a hobby. And when you do your hobby and you love doing it every day, I think it keeps you fresh and it keeps you younger and it just keeps you, you know, with this mix of vitality. And that's what it does for me. The... uh the, the culture and the community uh, of the Coast to Coast listener, as, as I mentioned, very, very interesting. And obviously that was an inspiration for uh, ParanormalDate.com. Talk to me about the genesis of, of that idea. I would go, and as I do, like Toronto on August 22nd, I go to speaking engagements and live events all around the country, all around Canada. I just came back from Vancouver. And people would come up to me saying, God, we love your events. We come here to see you, George. But we've got to be honest. We also come to meet other people who understand us, who get us, who want to talk about the unusual and the mysterious. And this would happen time and time again. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put together ParanormalDate.com. And we did. Yeah, we're approaching 18,000 members. It's free to sign up. Um, if you decide to stay and you want to connect with people, just put in code George because there's a huge discount when you do that. But it's free to sign up. And for those people listening to us, Richard, in Canada, when you go to ParanormalDate.com, up in the right-hand corner, there's a little tab there for the country you're in. you got to click Canada in order to register. But it's people are having fun. I've already said that if anybody gets married because of Paranormal Date, we'll do it live on the show. And I'm looking forward to that day. It'll be like Tiny Tim on The Tonight Show. Or was that Merv That's Griffin? Right. Merv Griffin, I think. Do you remember his wife's name? I don't. Miss Vicky. Miss Vicky. Wow. Yep. Well, I, I think it's one of the ideas or one of the things I like about it is it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful filter because uh, often people meet through work, which is another great filter uh, it, because you see people at their best and their worst. And also, you know, like attracts like. You're, you're in, a, in, in, a, in a workplace and you have similar interests. Uh, and that's what ParanormalDate.com uh, provides. You know that the people that are subscribing share your interests. And, these, and, and Coast listeners are very passionate, whether it's cryptozoology or, or UFOs. How important is it for you? And I, I don't want to pry into your personal life, but when you're uh, out on the town with, a, with your special lady, I mean, do you talk about this stuff? Is it important that, that the person you're with is interested in UFOs or is interested in, in the JFK assassination? When I'm out, I try not to talk about all these things we talk about on Coast to Coast. Because when you do it 24-7, five or six days a week, you've got to get away from it a little bit. So when, when I go out and do my thing, whatever that thing is, I try not to deal with the unusual and the paranormal. I do have to tell you, though, Richard... People recognize me from the History Channel's Ancient Aliens or Beyond Belief, 
and or the radio show, and they come up to me, and you have to be polite because they're listeners and you care about them, but they that's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about the show. So sometimes I find even on the day off that I have, you got to be on. you got to be ready to talk about it. But when I go out with somebody, uh, friends, I try not to. So uh, if you were involved with somebody, they wouldn't necessarily have to be into UFOs or, or as I say, JFK. I'd like them to understand it. Right. I think that would be important, uh, but they don't have to live in, in diet at all. All right. So, again, how does this work on Paranormal.com? Uh, once you subscribe, I mean, walk me through the process here. Okay, it's ParanormalDate.com. I'm sorry, sure ParanormalDate.com. Right? Apologies. Yeah, make sure you get that in. ParanormalDate.com. You go to that website, ParanormalDate.com. If you're in Canada, up in the right-hand corner, there's a tab there. You open it up because we're in Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, and the United Kingdom. Pick the country you're in. Just click that. And then fill out all the profile information. And the people start communicating with you. If they're interested in you, or if you want to get interested in someone, then you physically join. It's free to sign up, but there's, it's like 10 bucks a month or $9 a month with the code George. When you start connecting with people and going out on dates, and people are starting to do that now. It's a very simple tool, uh, but it's, uh, it's fun. It's well worth it for people. Excellent. All right, ParanormalDate.com. We'll take a time out, come back, open up the phone lines, questions, comments for George Norrie. We'll also uh, trend with questions for George at hashtag Norrie Toronto. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And we are back. George Norrie joining us live from uh, Beverly Hills uh, tonight, the host of Coast to Coast AM. And he is coming to Toronto August the 22nd at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, just a stone's throw from this studio down at the CNE, uh, bringing Alex Jones and Nick Pope along with him and uh, my good friends Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture. Head over to their website, conspiracyculture.com, and uh, there's ticket information there. I believe you can buy tickets through their uh, their bookstore, conspiracyculture.com. That's August 22nd, Queen Elizabeth uh, Theatre. Hope you'll be there. I know I'll be there. Uh, George, let's uh, let's dip into some calls, shall we? We shall, and uh, looking forward to my trip to Toronto again, Richard. Always great to see you there, too. Likewise, my friend. Uh, Keith is in Rochester. Keith, welcome to, to uh, The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Yes, I want to ask Mr. Nori, what happened to the advertiser IncomeAtHome.com? You, Sean Hannity, Michael Savage were also insistent that people would be able to quit their jobs completely. Income at Home, which is really herbal life, made some grandiose promises. Uh, people really depend on you to tell them the truth about this. By example, I know a woman named Sandy who lost $16,000 to the Trump network. I've tried to get in touch with the Donald several times. He's a billionaire. He could absolutely have reimbursed this woman the 16K that she put into his business and was trying to work it to no avail. What happened to income at home, and 
when you uh, scope out an advertiser, do you really make sure their claims are justified, or do you just read the script and hope? No, we sure do. First of all, I can't comment on Donald Trump's situation, but uh, I've got to tell you, for every ten advertisers that try to get through the door and advertise on our show, one or two get approved by our network. And then it has to get to me. Uh, Income at Home, I believe we had on the air several years ago, and they had a very big advertising budget, maybe a little too big because they spent a lot of money in advertising. But I've heard heard some success stories with people who've done well and some other people who were flat and didn't make any money at all on that. It, It was a way to make money by working out of your house, uh, doing some stuff with the Internet. Uh, But in terms of what we do and what I do specifically, I'll try it before I endorse it. Uh, But if ten people try to get in the door, maybe two of them do so. All right. right. I just know that people really depend upon you. uh, Oh, absolutely. Well, but you have to understand, and uh, you may never let me, uh, Keith, on your show again, but you know you're very, very corporate. You're out there in Beverly Hills. Uh, uh, People depend upon you, but I I know you're a very hard worker, but you've also done very well for yourself. And uh, in closing, you just have to remember that a lot of people out there are trying to make an extra second and third income, and when they hear the likes of Mr. Norrie endorse something and that it really doesn't pan out, I think you really have an obligation to your public since you were talking earlier about... Oh, I, I agree with it. No time. argument there. Okay, Keith, I think George has addressed your question. I appreciate the call. George, on the uh, Twitter, uh, we have someone uh, named Moontam who's asking when you'll invite Lynn McTaggart on your show and have her help end the California drought. Uh, that's a great question. I, matter of fact, asked my executive producer, Lisa Lyon, that three weeks ago that whenever we get Lynn back, I'm told she was out of the country. But as soon as she gets back, I would love to do an intention experiment to try to generate some more. You know, we we dabbled in it, and it did rain a little bit. But she's very good at what she does in terms of intention experiments, and uh, I would love to get her back on to do that. She did a crime reduction uh, consciousness experiment over Washington, D.C., uh, several months ago, and claims that that worked very well. And uh, what is the mood like in Southern California now with the drought? What's the price of a bottle of water, for example? Oh, I, yeah, you know what? Let me tell you. I'll go to one of the local stores here, Ralph's, for example, and I'll buy a pack of uh, bottled water, and it's about 4 or $5. Um, but the mood, uh, they just had some rain last week that was torrential. If they had about five more of those, they might be in some pretty good shape. What's happening, Richard, is the climate is changing. I'm not a man-made climate believer at all. But we're going through Earth cycles, and this is a bad one right now. However, I had a guest on the program last week on Coast to Coast who said that we're going through a major El Nino, and he predicts within nine months we're going to have huge storms in Southern California. So that's a good thing. All right, George, stay put. We'll uh, come back in just a few moments and uh, continue to take questions and comments. George Norrie, host of Coast to Coast AM, and also check out the uh, the dating online service, ParanormalDate.com. I've uh, hooked up to it on my website, RichardSerrett.com. Back with more of my conversation with George. Stay with us.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. George Norrie is with us. Till the top of the hour, i got to get George's take on this. A controversial Baphomet monument unveiled Saturday night in Detroit. A satanic statue unveiled in Detroit. The controversial Baphomet monument unveiled um, the bronze statue. Something uh, It's on the order of nine feet tall. Costs something like $100,000. It's made in bronze. It's a goat-headed statue, and it's uh, located on Joseph Campo Avenue. Hundreds of people turned up for the event, supporters and protesters at the first location on Grand River Avenue. And the location of the unveiling was kept secret and given via email to ticket holders hours before the event. Tickets were pre-sale only. The uh, monument was intended to be located next to a Ten Commandments monument in Oklahoma City until Oklahoma Supreme Court banned religious displays on Capitol grounds, including the Ten Commandments monument. The statue may eventually stand outside Arkansas's State House in Little Rock, where a Ten Commandments monument is planned to be built. The Satanic Temple said the statue is a symbol for what they advocate, the separation of church and state. Uh, George, this Satanic statue in Detroit. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about your, your sort of perception of, of um, evil and the existence of, let's say, Lucifer or Satan. Do you believe in, in, in Lucifer or an actual, an actual entity known as Satan? Well, I, what I believe in, Richard, is I believe in evil. Uh, I, I mean, for us to really dive into this, uh, you and I have to be on the air another three hours. I mean, it, it, it's a monumental discussion. But first of all, let me address this satanic temple statue. It's nine feet tall, weighs a ton, and, uh, you know, it looks like a devil. It looks like Satan. It's got wings and horns, and, uh, you know, people are chanting, Hail Satan. You know what? I don't think that's a place in society. Yes, we have freedom to do this and that, but that statue needs to be taken away and put away, as far as I'm concerned. Now, getting back to your question, uh, there is something out there that permeates this universe, the good and the bad, the yin and the yang. And as soon as we figure out what the heck we're doing here in this universe and what our place is, I think we'll have a better understanding of what the devil is, what Satan is, what God might be, and try to put that into a better perspective. But I do believe evil exists. Uh, we have good people, we have evil people. And I do believe that when one dies, leaves this physical plane that we're in, that their souls go off to another plane of existence. And if you're a bad person, and I believe in reincarnation, I believe that the hell that they'll have is coming back over and over and over again in different bodies, different life forms, and, and until they get that certain stage of perfection. But in terms of Satan, the devil, that influence against all of us, it's there. Um, he may not be running around with horns and cloven hoofs, but it's there. All right, let's go to the phones. Jerry is right here in Toronto. Jerry, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on with George Norrie. Go ahead. Jerry from T.O., Zoomer is my favorite station. George? Hi, Jerry. I have something very important to tell you. Okay. The water is warm. Oh, that's you again. 
Oh, who's this gentleman? We don't know the clues yet, Richard. We don't know the clues. He always calls me with a different clue. All right. <laughs> Do they add up to anything? Uh, no, or is not, it just not at this point. But one day maybe they might. All right. I was told he had a question about remote viewing. That's all right. Um, no, I... no, he does that to us, too. He's, he sets up producer Tom, who answers our phones, and, uh, and then he leaks through with something like that. We were talking about uh, sort of the spirit world. Uh, now, you and I share something in common, uh, and I've heard you over the years talk about you, you really warn people away from, from using Ouija boards. And uh, let me very very quickly tell you a story. Uh, I mentioned the CNE. You're going to be down at the uh, the Queen Elizabeth Theater at the CNE, August 22nd. That's right. A number of years ago, working at another radio station, we were doing a remote broadcast at the CNE, Big Summer Fair. And there were a couple of uh, young women there uh, huddled around the, uh, the, the radio, uh, the mobile unit, and they were dressed as sort of goth, you know, the uniform, you know what I mean, the black fingernail polish. And they, um, they pulled me aside and they told me this story about how they had, uh, and I believe that they were very sincere, they seemed shaken, but they had uh, purchased a Ouija board and they dabbled in it, they played around with it, and they got spooked. Uh, so then they, got, they tried to get rid of it, and they, they told me in some detail the effort to, 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 that they took to get – they threw it in a garbage dump down the street. They ended up uh, throwing it away somewhere else, and it kept coming back to them. And um, that, for me, just cemented my, um, you know, my fear. Uh, and I can't believe that they still sell Ouija boards in toy stores. I just think oh, that's an God, abomination. Yeah. They're making a fortune selling those things. They're all over the place. Um, I, I've always told people it's not a toy. Don't dabble with the other side. It's the intent that the problem is created by. It's the intent, feeling as if you want something from the other side to come through. It's an invitation. Uh, it may not be the board per se, but it's just the fact that the person is prepared to let this stuff come through that I think creates this. And so I've told people, you know, stay away from Ouija boards. Stay away from that intent. I was going to do a Ouija board show years ago and canceled it before going on the air. And, you know, there were people who were actually upset about it, Richard. They were going to have a Ouija board pizza party. And they were waiting with their Ouija board and me doing my thing. And I pulled out. I said, I'm not going to do it. It's, uh, it's not a smart thing to do. And you know, I got a lot of emails from people who said, best decision you've ever made. Yes, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, we, we definitely share that. And we've got about five minutes left, and I just I have another tweet here. Someone wanted to know, uh, it's Barry, and they're asking about your take on disclosure, UFO disclosure. When and uh, uh, under what circumstances will it occur? It will not occur. I've oh. told a number of people, including Stephen Bassett, who is, uh, you know, heading up the exopolitics push for disclosure. Governments aren't going to do it. Just not going to happen. We're going to have to continue to get people who are whistleblowers, who have experienced these very strange connections. They're the ones that are going to have to come forward and tell us what's been going on. But to have a general news conference with the president, with, you know, aliens flanking him or something, telling us what has happened, or NASA holding a news conference saying that UFOs have come here, it's not going to happen, Richard. Does the president even have the security clearance to, to do something like that? I, I doubt I, that. I think Richard Nixon might have been one of the few presidents, uh, and uh, you know he may have been the, one of the only presidents at that time, the modern time, to be in on it. 
All the others were not. They tried, but they couldn't get the information. And I think Eisenhower was in on it. There's always talk that he actually had meetings with extraterrestrials. You know what? Who knows? Fascinating subject. What is your take on the ET uh, phenomena? Do you think that they are extraterrestrial? Or uh, my, my view, and it's not a popular one in the UFO community, I mean, that's a very, it's a very contentious issue. Uh, I believe they are interdimensional, and I think they may even be demonic. I think they could be demonic, and there's a lot of people who would agree with you. I think the Zechariah Sitchin theory that they came here 400,000 years ago, that they seeded whatever life forms might have been on this planet that ended up being us, I think that's very accurate, too. And um, it's just no question in my mind that in this vast universe that there are countless numbers of intelligent civilizations out there, and many of whom have probably have gotten here. I, I, I see no reason why they wouldn't through their technology. You know, just jumpstart us another 200 years from now in terms of technology. Look at how we've evolved in 50 years since we merely got on the moon. I mean, it's been amazing. You know, technology with a civilization that might be a million years ahead of us or two million years ahead of us could be able to bend space and time and travel here anytime they want. All right. I think we have time to squeeze in another call. Robert is in Mississauga, just west of Toronto. Robert, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with George Norrie. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, guys, I enjoy both your shows. You're, you, you guys are fantastic. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. So my question is, is the fact that this uh, fairly, sorry about my phone here, it's clicking, hold on here. Let me just, okay, there we go. The fact that this, this fairly new telescope that's in space that spotted this planet that's, uh, that's similar to Earth's atmosphere, but this planet yeah. is so far away. I mean, it's got to be like, what, 100 billion light years away or something like that? It's 1,400 million light, 1,400 light years away, which means if we could travel at the speed of light right now, it would take 1,400 years to get there. So doesn't that, the fact that it's so far away, doesn't that kind of deflate the idea that there, that there might be extraterrestrials visiting the, you know, the planet Earth? Because I've never if, seen it. I, you, has anybody ever really travel, seen it? Robert, listen, if you think of travel in terms of how we travel today, you're absolutely right. There's no way anything can get to where we are. Look how long it took us to get out to Pluto. However, jumpstart intelligence by a million years and then get a piece of paper and put a dot on each end and then fold them over where the two dots connect that's how i think they're traveling they're traveling through wormholes and special ways to get through the universe much like jody foster did in the movie contact they're just it's almost instant and and that's what they're doing i'm convinced of it uh, well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. All right, Robert. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Uh, what do people? Uh, what can people expect August 22nd at the Queen Elizabeth Theater? You've got Alex Jones, uh, always <laughs> incendiary to say the least, He's and of the course best. Nick Pope talking yeah. about UFOs. Richard, I'm going to be singing before a live band, and if people want more information, it's georgenorylive.com. Well, looking forward to seeing you again, George. Me too, Rich. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a good evening. Okay. Be well. George Norrie. And don't forget, ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com.
really, really cool uh, way to meet somebody special, and you all deserve someone special. And as I always say, you know, because it's such an important filtering process, uh, you want to make sure that the people that you're with or that you're hooking up with on a date share similar interests. I mean, you don't want to be walking down the aisle and then all of a sudden find out that they subscribe to the uh, the, the magic bullet theory. Or something, you know, but if you uh, if you use paranormaldate.com, uh, you'll make sure that you've found that special soulmate and they're on the same page if you know what i mean all right my website richardserrett.com that's your portal to the conspiracy show and as always say hello on twitter at richard serrett and while you're there please follow and follow the truth live from toronto canada the conspiracy show with richard serrett from zuma radio am 740 Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your cabin in the woods, your long-haul truck, taxi, your, your uh, camper, your RV. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, good to have you here. I'll tell you what. I walk into the studio every week, and I thank God for allowing me to continue to do this program. I do love my work. I honestly do. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing, and uh, I thank you for listening and for your support over the years. Tim is here, Tim Spreen. He's leaving me. Tim is moving into another day part here at our uh, flagship station, Zuma Radio. So I'll be getting a, uh, another technical producer in a few weeks. Uh, is it Ian, Tim? Ian. All right, well, uh, he'll be my fifth technical producer in six years. <laughs> You, yes, you had a good run, Tim. Three years, the longest. Uh, I'm coming up on my sixth anniversary in a couple of weeks at AM 740. Six years. Wow. Uh, Albert Vinzel is also here. Albert uh, started as my intern about uh, six months ago. Has it been six months, Albert? And he, he has really proven to be invaluable. Uh, I don't tell him very often because he'll ask for a raise, but he does excellent work, and uh, I'd be lost without him. So thanks for all you do, Albert. Um, and Albert is running our HOA uh, tonight, again, our Hangout on Air. If you want to catch the live stream, you can join very simply. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and click on the HOA link, and you are in the inner sanctum. Uh, we are going to delve into all things paranormal in this hour of the program, and uh, it could get a little dark, quite frankly. I've been pretty clear over the years. Uh, but it bears repeating that I do believe in an unseen world, a spirit world. I believe in angels, and I believe in demons. I believe in an afterlife. Uh, I talk to a lot of researchers and authors and investigators who are involved in spirit communication, uh, but it is not something I personally am involved in. I was speaking with George Norrie from Coast to Coast AM not too long ago, and uh, this is something that we, we've discussed. Uh, we have an aversion to – well, not an aversion. I just – I stay clear of Ouija boards. I don't mind talking about it on the air. I don't mind talking about uh, or with people. Uh, we've had guests recently talking about Ouija boards, our good friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley, but you will not get me near one. Come hell or high water. This whole paranormal field – is fraught with dangers. It is a swamp. It's not for amateurs. And yet, ghost hunting and paranormal investigation has become a hobby or a pastime for some people, like bird watching. And I don't think that's a good thing. 
This is something best left to professionals. Because I think there is, in this field, when you were talking about spirit communication, there is a lot of deception. You're not necessarily speaking with your great-uncle Fred. And my next guest has a similar story to tell. She had paranormal experiences from a very early age, and everything started out honky-dory. She thought these spirits were her friends. And then things changed, and not for the better. Her whole life, as I say, full of paranormal experiences, she's been able to see and communicate with spirits since she was very young. And while she was very young, the spirits were her friends, but as time went on, things started to change. She started being tormented by spirits, haunted, even attacked. Let's get into all of that with our guest, Christina George is a paranormal investigator, ufologist, cryptozoologist, a psychic medium, and the founder of her paranormal group, PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society, out of Sacramento, California, where they investigate not only the paranormal, but also UFOs, abductions, Bigfoot, and other unknown mysteries. Christina George, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Uh, Take us back to uh, your childhood. Um, and the the nature of your uh, paranormal experiences. Were you seeing dead people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been able to see and communicate with spirits since, as long as I can remember, since the youngest age is about four years old. And as you were saying in the intro, it's something when I was young, never seemed to be an issue. I saw them all the time in the home where I was at, where I lived, places I would go, interacted with them. It was, again, never anything scary. I never felt uh, danger or anything like that. It wasn't until probably my early teens when everything changed. And I'll tell you, it definitely and drastically changed. Well, before we get into what changed, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated. Here you are, four years old. You would go to somebody's house and you would see... A, a ghost. What kind of ghost? Are we talking about children, adults? What did they look like? How did they present themselves to you? Okay. They, uh, all of the above. I saw children. I saw adults, uh, men, women. Uh, again, they looked like you and I. The only difference was that they were more of a translucent um, way, so you could actually see through them. So I could see, you know, just like I said, it looked like you or me. But I could see that I could see through them. And, again, being a child, it was very interesting because I asked a lot of questions. And they seemed to, you know, be completely open to answering everything. The one thing for me was that they always told me that I wasn't supposed to talk about this. I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. And, strangely enough, growing up, I was brought up Catholic. You know, you're supposed to not hide anything from your parents, be honest, truthful. And I actually did come forward and, and try to tell adults about this and was met with, stop making things up. Other people would say, you know, it's normal. They're um, the imaginary friends. They'll go away. 
And so immediately it was kind of like, like I come back and they're like, eh, well, we, we tried to tell you. And so from there, as a child, I really never talked about it uh, around you, any, but especially at my home, since, again, we are very strong, strong Catholics. But you had full-on conversations with these, oh, yeah. with these ghosts, full-on yeah. conversations. And did they tell you about their history, who they were, how they died, or did they know they were dead? Um, some did. Some didn't. Uh, some would tell me all about, some people were, they would tell me they used to live in the homes where we lived. And I moved around a lot as a child. So, again, going to different people's homes or mostly my own homes is where I've got the most interaction with them. And did they, did they, I mean, these were, these are what we would call earthbound spirits, correct? Yes. Uh, and did did any of them? Um, well, you mentioned that they, you know, you never felt threatened. But uh, I mean, I can't imagine even at the age of four, uh, you know, seeing a specter like this and 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 not being frightened. I mean, why why weren't you frightened? You should have been. I don't know that I should have been. I didn't know to be scared. It didn't really really come until later when I started getting a little bit older and watching television and watching scary movies and things like that when I started to kind of get a fear that, okay, maybe this isn't normal and maybe, and then you see anything that on TV or movies that was associated with spirits or ghosts was always something bad and they were going to attack you and hurt you. Um, and so again, I, I didn't have that fear ever put in my head from the beginning. So it, and nothing ever bad ever happened to me, so I didn't associate one with the other. And why you? I mean, does this run in the family, your ability? Um, on my mother's side, no. Um, I actually did not know of anybody. I didn't. My father wasn't in the picture growing up. I didn't meet him until I was an adult. I actually then found out that um, on my father's side, there are abilities, you know, generations back on his side but not on my mother's side. So it was kind of hard, and, it, and I'm almost 50 years old. So um, when I was going through this, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have all the television shows. We didn't have all these, you know, uh, people out there that can give you information. I literally had the library, and even my local library did not have a lot on, you know, psychic abilities, ghosts, things like that. I mean, I did find a lot of books on witchcraft, you know, casting spells, things like that, but, you know, not really anything to tell me what was going on with me and, and what I should do about it. So it was kind of, you know, trial and error thing <laughs> along the way. Christina George is with us, founder of the paranormal group PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society out of Sacramento, California. Uh, and and you mentioned that uh, they, they were quite um, uh, benevolent, these uh, ghosts, that you saw as a child at the beginning. Yeah. We're going to head into a break in a couple of minutes, but let's start the conversation now. When did the tide start to turn? Starts about 12 years old, and I'm getting ready to go into middle school, and I'm trying to make friends. I, Although I was a, a child that liked to interact with people, I didn't tell you know, too many people about what was going on around me right away. If you even mention it, kids get scared, you know, say you are a witch or something was wrong with you and, you know, scatter. So in 
first year of middle school, I tried to make some friends, and I actually um, got a group of friends that weren't afraid of actually what was going on with me, but they didn't believe me so much. So they decided one night that they were going to, these girls were going to invite me over to the house for a sleepover, and what they, when I got there, what they wanted me to do was they had a Ouija board there, and I saw, I heard it on the, on your intro, I hate Ouija boards as well, but um, they had a Ouija board, and they wanted to do a session with one to see if I could come up with the answers from the spirit world before the Ouija board gave the answer and see if it matched up. And um, I really think that was the beginning of where it turned really, really, really bad. You're absolutely right. Um, what people think they're interacting with, with Ouija boards, is definitely usually not what they think. Uh, many people get attachments. Uh, I was one of them and have some really, really bad things happen uh, because they don't understand them. And that's All exactly right. what happened to me. Well, a bit of a cautionary tale, and we will get into that cautionary tale on the other side with Christina George talking the dark side of the paranormal. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Christina George is with us. Uh, she's the host of two well-known radio shows on the DTM Wicked Radio Network called Paranormal Connections and Aliens, UFO, and Beyond as well. She uh, mentors uh, children, teens, and adults with psychic abilities in order to help them understand what is going on around them and to help them understand that they are not crazy and that they are definitely not alone. All right, uh, Christina, we were talking about your... Um, uh, well, when things sort of turned south in terms of para the paranormal, and uh, you you uh, sort of pinpoint this to um, a Ouija board session. Absolutely. So what do you think happened? You opened up a, a portal when you started using the Ouija board, and, and in this invited sort of lower uh, realm entities into your life? A hundred percent, I believe so. Um, as I said, I had never once before had any kind of negative uh, interaction or encounter prior to that time. And so, as I said, they were um, doing a seance. They were, you know, asking these questions. I was giving the answers. But, you know, as all this is going on, as I'm giving the answers, the Ouija board is is starting to say, the, give the exact same answers. And of course, right away, everybody's looking at each other and they're accusing each other. Are you pushing it? Are you making it, you know, do the same? Who's one doing this? And, you know, then all of a sudden it kind of like just started like going on its own. It's like, you know, giving answers all crazy. And it really scared everybody. Um, after that, the girl actually threw away the um, Ouija board um, I, of course, they were not friends with me because then they now think I'm some crazy psychotic, you know, uh, I think they thought I was a witch at the time because it was a rumor for a while that they were telling people. Um, and it, so, of course, you know, I go back home and right away I start having some visitations by this entity and at the time, all that I could see was it was this a large, large, uh, what I figured to be a man because of the voice, but he had um, a large cloaked uh, hooded robe and uh, like the Grim Reaper. He didn't have a sickle or anything like that, but he had this uh, hood. You can see his face and, and all this. 
and I kept seeing him on and on. And, and again, I was, you know, a teen, I was going through, you know, puberty, all the emotions were all over the place. And um, plus, I was a very, very strong psychic that had no idea what was going on. So it was a pretty good target uh, for something like this. And I was going through a lot of actually turmoil as well. And um, again, perfect storm for, you know, to be a target. And this thing actually for a while kept trying to convince me that I needed to take my life and that if I would just take my life, that all of this stuff I was going through would be over and then there were, I would be surrounded by people who really did care about me. And again, as a child, this is very confusing because this is polar opposite of what I've ever you know, went through and experiences I had. And it, it continued on for quite a while and this thing would show up all different times and even got to the point that um, I didn't really, I had so much energy, I didn't know what to um, do. And I ended up starting to cut myself. Oh dear. And during this time, and actually now that I'm in both, I, I have found that many young psychics, um, because of that, they don't understand how to con- um, decipher with the psychic abilities and all the energies, especially if they're empathic, things like that. Um, so it is very, you know, um, normal for them to cut, uh, to kind of relieve that energy. Did but your parents time, try to get you into therapy? I'm sorry? Did your parents try to, to, to get counseling for you or therapy? They, they did, but, you know, earlier on. And um, actually, I was around nine when they I was first taken in. Um, the doctor, the psychiatrist, they tried to tell my mom that, you know, um, they should put me on some meds, that, you know, I might find the you know, bipolar, going through some depression, but, you know, um, thank God for my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, because she said, absolutely not. This child way too young. Are you kidding me? You know, she, there's nothing. They, they couldn't see that there was anything that they thought psychologically was wrong with me, other than I was talking about these experiences, seeing spirits. So, um, yeah, so later on, no, nobody got me, you know, any kind of help after that. Um, nobody knew I was cutting. Uh, nobody even... I found out till a little bit later, but uh, so during one of these times when I'm I'm cutting, this thing shows up, and scary enough, it it ended up you know kind of trying to get me to take it my life that day, uh, and I was just so upset, and I don't even remember what was going on, but it was just I was really really upset, and this thing turned around and said, you know, kept telling me, take your life, take your life. And I kept saying, you know, if you're so, you know, such a, you're so strong and you're so bad and you can do all this stuff, you know, you know, why don't you do it? And the next thing I know is this thing is behind me and he's got his arms like wrapped around me. And what was so weird was that the hands was the first thing I ever saw in this thing is he wrapped him around me. It was like long fingers, uh, almost something like you'd see out of like a horror movie, mm-hmm. uh, long nails, uh, rough skin, um, did not look human. And it caused me to pick up my, the razor blade, and it literally was con- almost controlling me. And it started having me take the um, razor blade and start to go up on my wrist, not across, but up. And he whispers in my ear and says, if you just push just a little bit harder, it'll be all over. But I will tell you, that was when the light for me turned on in that moment. And I don't really know why it was, but at that point I realized that this thing can't 
take my life. It can manipulate and it can try to make me take my life. But when I challenged it, it couldn't hurt me. And it was kind of like almost an empowering feeling. So, you know, I was like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't hurt me. And if you're so, you know, you're such a powerful thing, you know, and you can do all this, why do you hide behind this cloak? And I said, why don't you show me your face? And I'll tell you to this day, I, I hear it every time I tell this story, but like it happened just right now, and he would say, oh, you want to see what I look like? And I said, yeah. And he put his head forward, the, the hood forward, and I see him put his hands up, and then he pushes the hood back as he puts his head up. And what I see is clearly, like, straight what he would have seen out of, you know, a picture, you know, of, of Satan himself. Oh now, my. of course, it scared the hell out of me. You are face-to-face face with that this that thing. that was Satan? No. You're face-to-face face with this thing? Yes. Yes. Why don't you believe it, it was Satan? What was it? Well... Again, at the time I did. I mean, I was scared the hell out of me. Um, but now I, I don't believe so because these things, they manipulate us. They use us. Um, and again, like with the Ouija board, they will make you think that you are interacting with a family member or something so that you will be open to interact, things like that. And so uh, the same thing is they can manipulate them, your, you know, your greatest fears. And at the time, again, growing up Catholic, my number one fear was of the devil itself. Well, would you call it a demon? It certainly sounds like yes, a demon. Yes, that's exactly what I believe it is, 100%. And, you know, mimicking what I was, most, you know, my biggest fears. Uh, they know us, you know, better than we know ourselves. And so they, they definitely use that. You know, after that time... I mean, I literally went back to the, the very next day. I went back to the uh, library, and I actually checked out books which were on witchcraft. And I was able to find a uh, so-called spell, a binding spell. It was a binding of, of abilities spell. And I basically uh, performed that. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I performed it. And um, it actually stopped me from being able to see anything, not for long, I mean, for a couple of years, uh, but it did work for a little while. I will tell you that, again, that was in my early teens. I am now almost 50 years old. From the time that uh, I did the binding uh, ritual, I did not see this thing again. Um, I had, during all these years, I've had a near-death experience. Uh, when I came back, that's when my abilities actually came back. The binding abilities was gone. My abilities were 10 times stronger than they ever were before, um, but I still didn't see this thing. So I was like, okay, I, I guess I can handle as long as I don't have to deal with that. What was the but nature think, of your, your, excuse me, Christina, the nature of your near-death experience? Walk me through that. Okay. Well, uh, I had an, a car accident, uh, and during that time, uh, I was brought to the hospital, they told me that I needed to go to surgery. I had a ruptured spleen, so they were going to go in and repair it. Um, and during the I, last thing I remembered is they were, you know, telling me to count backwards there, putting the gas on my, my uh, face. Uh, next thing I know, I am floating um, above what I find to be my body. 
and I can see people working and doing, you know, surgery and talking. And I literally kind of like wanted to like try to look around to see if it was me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is me. And mind you, I'm I'm an adult at this time, and I I had heard of near death experiences. And the, one of the first things I thought about is, oh my gosh, my experience in there near death experience. And so I started like looking at very specific things, the clock, what time it was, um, what uh, the nurse and the doctors were saying, uh, the machinery, all these different things. And right about that moment, um, I am kind of projected from inside the above my body in the operating room immediately to another place where it was just I don't want to say a room because there I didn't see any walls or floor or anything, but I was in this place where I was completely surrounded by this white light. Um, and in the distance, I could see a line of people. Um, one happened to me and my grandfather, which was um, the first and only of my family members that um, died and came to me uh, and has been the only one since. Uh, I had a um, boyfriend that I was with um, for a long time, and he actually was killed uh, and died in my arms. He was there. Oh, um, my. He I was saw and died other... in your arms? Yes, yes. Yeah, he was shot and uh, ended up passing away. He was there. There was um, a couple other people that now I know to be family members that had passed away, and then there were some other people I still to this day don't know who they are. Um but during that time, I could see them. They're all standing in the line. They're they're waving to me. Excuse me. I really, at this time, I was had such a euphoric feeling. I will tell you, I've never felt anything like that before. And at the time, I was a young mother of, of four children. And not once was I thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, I've got children that are are back behind, left behind, nothing like that. And they were my only concerns. So that would have always been my biggest thing. And I get this, this voice tells me that it's not my time, that I, I, I'm going to have to go back. And for some reason, I feel like I can argue with whoever this is. And I tell them, you know, why would I go? I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Why, you know, why would I go? And it was given very specific. I was actually given a lot of information, but uh, very specific directions. And one of them was that I was supposed to go back. I was supposed to no longer hide my abilities from people. I was supposed to use them to help other people. And, you know, again, I'm sitting here arguing with this thing, like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> you can't make me go back. I'm not going. I don't know what you, why you think you're going to send me back, but you can't do that. I'm here now. And as I'm saying that, all of a sudden I'm yanked back. And I'm still in this, this area of white light, but I can see that the line of my grandfather and people are further away and they're waving as like they're saying goodbye. And I can remember I was yelling and I was crying and saying, no, like, I don't want to go. Like, you can't make me go. And at that time I'm yanked back. I mean, very forcefully, you know, just shoved back. And the second time I'm pulled back, I am now again above my um, body and back in the operating room. And I see them feverishly working on my body. Um, I can do that on the machines as I'm flatlined. They are shocking my body, which I now believe that the times that they were shocking me is when I got yanked backwards. 
So this last time they say, turn it up, we're going to shock her one more time or we'll call her. And they shocked me this last time. At that point, I go back into my body. Um, and the next thing I remember is when I wake up in the recovery room, I was actually crying, very hysterical. I was trying to tell pe- the nurses and people around me what had just happened. And all I remember was that the nurse kept saying, rubbing my forehead and saying, it's okay, honey, it's okay. You just had surgery. You had a really bad accident. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Everything's okay. This is just from the anesthesia. And I, I knew that that wasn't the case. But I literally talked to the doctor the following day that came to visit me in the um, in the ICU. And strangely enough, they came in and um, talked to me about the the near-death experience. He was a doctor actually did research on near-death experience. I, I told him, you know, asked him if I remembered my experience. I did. I told him. And then he left and another group of doctors came in that were following me. And they came to tell me that, you know, they had repaired my spleen. I was better, but they that was the good news. The bad news is that while they were in there, they had found that um, I had this illness, you know, uh, feeding away inside of me. Um, that there was no, there was an illness that there was no cure for and that um, I needed to start making arrangements that people with this illness don't live more than three to five years, so I needed to get my affairs in order. To be honest, I mean, it was kind of like, what kind of sick, weird, you know, tormented joke is this? You know, you, I die, you, I have a near-death experience. You tell me it's not my time. You're sending me back only to wake up and be told that I'm going to die again in a few years. It, it was, you know, a crazy experience. But it actually set me forward in what I do now because from that point on, I came out publicly, which was very, very hard, um, about having psychic abilities. I had to go through all of the torment of people not believing in this stuff, not, you know, thinking I'm making things up, I'm faking, um, all, all these kind of things. And I mean, now we're 15 years, you know, forward and, and in the future. And um, obviously, I've got, you know, a, a great uh, radio shows. I lecture all over the U.S. on these topics. Um, and, and the I, disease, I, they were wrong, obviously. No, um, I actually do have it. Um, during this time, it has it's usually a very aggressive and progressive illness. Christina, let um, me just jump in here. Excuse me, we've got to take sure. a break. We'll pick up on oh, this yeah. on the other side. Christina George, no practicing psychic, paranormal investigator that researches everything paranormal. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Christina George is with us. We are discussing the dark side of the paranormal. And that's something that I think that's very important to discuss. Often we hear um, that, uh, you know, ghost hauntings and so forth. Well, they're just they're harmless and we point them towards the light. And, and uh, we're, you know, you've got to set your Aunt Mabel free or she came back from the other side to tell you that everything is wonderful over here. And uh, but it's not all like that. Uh, and I, uh, this is what I've been on about for many, many years. This is uh, just one of the reasons I do not dabble in this area. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't use Ouija boards. I don't, uh, I don't. I'm interested in 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 talking to people uh, about it, but this is not something that I will partake in. 
Uh, and Christina George has had, uh, well, much of her early life filled with um, rather negative paranormal activity. Now, you were mentioning that uh, you were diagnosed after you uh, had this near-death experience and you were yanked back into your body. And I find it fascinating, by the way, that this, this feeling that you had, we often hear, you know, the overwhelming, unconditional love. It was so powerful that despite the fact that you had, I, I believe you said, two young children. Four. Uh, how many? Four. Four. Four young children. You still didn't want to come back into your body. You, were, you felt you could leave them behind. Sadly to say, I didn't think about anybody that was being left behind. I had no feelings of regret, sadness, that it was a bad thing, um, none of the above. And I actually struggled that with that for a long time after I came back from the near-death experience because I thought, kind of a mother, you know, like, that they were all I would, was thinking of. That's what they, I lived for. So why would I not think of the fact that I would be leaving them behind without a mother. But no, I I didn't think about anybody at all. Well, because I think there. somehow you knew uh, and you were made to feel that everything would be all right. Yeah. Uh, now, you, you were diagnosed after you, you, um, you came to, uh, you were diagnosed with what you were told was a fatal disease. You were given three to five years. Clearly, you've beaten that. But what is the disease and, and how are you managing Okay, so it's called systemic scleroderma seen sclerosis, and I have the GI involvement, which is the uh, most severe, and um, there is no current cure for it. Uh, what it does is I have a version that causes the connective tissue to kind of grow like uh, ivy, so it grows inside. It attaches with, like, suction cups to anything it touches, which is all your internal organs, it starts to wrap around them and it till they cease to function anymore. And so it basically, you start having issues with each um, internal organ. And if they go, I've had probably over 30 surgeries over the years. Oh my. And they've gone in and they've, you know, um, tried to remove it where it only made it come back 10 times faster and worse and more aggressive. Uh, so eventually we, we, just kind of left it and, you know, let it take its course and avoided any kind of surgery uh, because, of course, scar tissue is a form of connective tissue and anytime you get a surgery, everybody grows scar tissue. So it was, you know, com- uh, pounding the problem. And so uh, it, it seemed to kind of slow down. I mean, at this point, I've got it everywhere. I mean, I have it around... All of the intestines, I have it up around my esophagus, I have it on my kidneys, the ureters, um, around the uh, lungs, and the heart is the last place that it will wrap around, and then obviously that's it. Um, And at this point, it's just finishing up around uh, my other lung. So, uh, you know, who knows? They told me it would take three to five years for it to completely envelop everything. Um, and here we are almost 15 years later, and it's just now kind of coming to the end. So I live each day like it's my last any anyway. I don't fear death anymore. So I really don't put a whole lot on that. Um, but I have actually um, started like a lot of alternative medicines and um, deal, especially, you know, dealing with like stress. I, I meditate quite often. Um, things like that, biofeedback, because stress seems to play havoc 
on illnesses, and especially when you have psychic abilities. Right. Um, I, I did want to get to this. We'll, we'll start the discussion now. This is a short segment, so we'll probably head into a break very shortly okay. here. But let me ask you, uh, I always find this aspect disturbing. And, um, in fact, there's a story uh, up on my website at richardserrett.com in the slide carousel about people collecting haunted dolls, collecting them, uh, if you can oh. imagine. And uh, here we go again. And I know that you have had uh, some encounters. You have actually uh, you've been attacked by haunted dolls, have you not? Yeah. I lived with my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, uh, for a short time when I was growing up. And the room that I was staying in was the extra bedroom. And my grandmother was a collector of all types of dolls, uh, porcelain dolls, um, Raggedy Ann and Andy's, you name it, she had them. And she had been collecting them for many years. She had display cases. They were all over the walls, on shelves. I mean, the whole room was just full of dolls. And um, I hated staying there. It was like my worst nightmare because every night when I would go to sleep, I would wake up around 3 a.m. and I would hear these dolls talking to me. Not only talking to me, but she even had some you know, electronic dolls and, and different things. And, you know, there was like this one, um, you maybe remember them in the old days, they had like this monkey and he had the... Uh, uh, the symbols. Symbols, yeah. Yes, ding, oh, ding, I ding, remember ding, that, ding. yes. Yes. With that so crazed, maniacal look on his face. Right, right. And, you know, it'd be like three, three thirty, and this stupid thing would wake me up and we'd be ding, 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 you know. And so the point that I literally took batteries out of anything that had batteries in there and they would still go off. And so it scared me so bad, I, I finally am like, okay, I've got to say something to my grandmother. Now, mind you, my maternal grandmother was Catholic, but um, my paternal grandmother was about as devout Catholic as you could get. And so as soon as I tell her what's going on, she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I know how I can fix this. And she grabs me and puts me in the car and takes me to the Catholic Church because my grandmother actually, like, had you know, Sunday dinner with the with the father, the priest, and, and the whole nine yards. She was very involved in the church and uh, took me there and told them. So, you know, the, the father takes me in there, and he has me to confession, and he puts the holy water on me and has me do 15 Hail Marys and Our Fathers, and he tells me, okay, you know, these are going to be gone. No more problems. You'll go home, and everything will be just fine, you know, and you're not supposed to be talking about these things. These are... These are not human spirits keep telling you. These are demons, and you're not supposed to interact. So I go home thinking, you know, this is going to be over finally because, again, I'm brought up to think that, you know, the priest can fix everything. And I went back, and I will tell you, it was ten times worse when I got back. It was and was the last day that I stayed at my grandparents' home. So I left the next day, and, and it actually never stayed a day there from that point on up until my grandmother passed away. So, All right, Christina. Yeah, well, that was not a big thing for me. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I had a ventriloquist doll as a child, and uh, oh, yeah. Tommy Talker. Uh, it's in the garage now and will not uh, be in the house, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> uh, we will come back. Christina George, my guest, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Uh, Christina George stays with us, and uh, she is 
a paranormal investigator, ufologist, cryptozoologist, psychic medium, and founder of the paranormal group PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society, out of Sacramento, California. How would you rate Sacramento in terms of paranormal activity? Um, it's pretty high up there. I mean, we're in gold country, and, you know, there's just, and, and also a lot of the settlers here. We've had a lot of, you know, massacres with uh, the Maidu Indian tribes around here. So definitely a lot of activity, but I'll tell you, you know, to be honest, nowadays, there really isn't anywhere that I've gone or, you know, lectured at that doesn't have activity, and it is actually increasing, and not on the good side. Um, We're seeing across the board uh, with paranormal teams and investigators that their caseloads are through the roof, and uh, even with my own team... For many years, we had very, very uh, basic cases, you know, um, residual hauntings, maybe a family member or the uh, occupant of the home that died there, you know, uh, not really in their dead and haven't crossed over, things like that. Uh, not so much anymore. Now we are getting a lot more reportings of really serious cases, like actual attacks on the occupants, child- on the children, Um possessions. Uh, You name it, we're getting across the board, and I hate to say it, but I think that um, television and these ghost hunting shows have a lot to do with it. That's interesting. I was going to ask you about that, and now is a good time. Why? Is it if we think about it, we're opening ourselves up to it? If we watch shows about it, we're opening ourselves up to it? Well, I think, yeah, it does open ourselves up to it, which I think is a good thing, because it has... Uh, brought around a lot more people um, about the paranormal and also making uh, more people comfortable talking about it. Uh, So more people are starting to believe in it. But the bad side of it is that we are seeing um, an increase of paranormal enthusiasts. They see this stuff on TV and they're like, wow, that looks cool. I could do that. And so they decide that they're going to be an investigator. And nowadays the problem is, is like when I first started, you might have three in all of California, right? Now I have 300 just in the area that I'm in to choose from. And all you need to do is, you know, uh, have a couple friends, go out and buy a camera and a voice recorder, make a Facebook page, and print up a T-shirt, and you're a paranormal team. Uh, There's no, you know, licensing. There's no background checks. There's no nothing. And these people as well are getting their training from the shows, and I want to say first and foremost that what you see on TV is really nowhere near explains everything that goes on in a, an investigation. Um, what's the right things to do, the wrong things to do? You see a lot of provoking for television, which is absolutely the worst thing you could do. You never want to go in, whether it's a human spirit or you know uh, something demonic. Uh, or even a dark entity, you don't want to go in, you know, uh, cussing it out and, you know, becoming very forceful and attackful towards it because that's exactly probably what you're going to get back. Um, So we started seeing a lot of people, again, using these things. And so we got more people coming, and the movies are showing the Ouija boards. So people are saying, oh, yeah, we should do this. And even investigators and people watching, you know, um, on TV are now getting these 
apps for their phones, they're buying the equipment, and they are investigating in their own homes. And I will tell you, anybody and your listeners, whether you're interested in the paranormal or not, you never, ever want to try any kind of communication between the spirit world and yourself, especially in your own home. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, how how are these things getting into our homes? It, it, I mean, a lot of people are interested in, in antiquing, and so they bring home, let's say, an old bonnet chest from the 1850s. Um, I mean, is that what happens, that these entities, either uh, demonic or others, sort of glom onto these material possessions and ride on into your house with them? Oh, absolutely. I and mean, we've had plenty of cases where... You know, people never experienced any kind of paranormal activity in their home ever. And then all of a sudden they come back from a flea market or a yard sale or an estate sale. And almost immediately things start to happen. So, and it, also uh, we see a big increase now with jewelry. Um, people mm. are liking secondhand jewelry, estate sales, things like that. And they'll notice that once they start wearing the jewelry, they are feeling different. They're feeling strange. Uh, they don't feel they're the same. Uh, they may uh, be have different emotions that aren't their normal emotions. And again, it can be from the jewelry because um, you know we're made up of energy, and anything that we wear, especially have stones and things like that and crystals, it absorbs that energy. And so, you know, I always try to tell people if they get you know secondhand jewelry. Um, even from somebody that they know that's still alive, uh, that you should um, do some ways of, of clearing the jewelry. You know, uh, if you have stones, things like that, put them in the window um, in the moonlight. You know, overnight you can salt, uh, soak them in salt water, different things to to disconnect that energy from it. So it's then the energy of yourself, and you're not having anything conflicting. What's the worst? Uh, um sort of infestation of demonic activity you've ever investigated? I had a case a couple years ago, and I was called in. Uh, I actually was consulting. They were uh, reporting that they were they had seen a UFO and thought they had been abducted. But since then, they were having all kinds of paranormal activity. When I walked in, this house was just, it was crazy. When I walked onto the property, the first thing that I could see was the whole, you know, um, property littered with bodies of American Indians and what looked like, you know, olden day settlers or something. Um, that first thing as I'm walking through all that, then I get in the house and, you know, this person has crosses on one wall. They've got dream catchers on the other. They've got warrior tiki masks that's been made into uh, lamps. They've got all these different things all over the place. And um, I ended up, they ended up having um, a pair of statues. And one was uh, the woman found in her sister's storage shed, and she took home. She liked it. The other one she found in a thrift store and felt compelled to buy it and bought it for $3. Um, she brought it in, and I'll tell you, it was like the world of the worlds in her house. And there was definitely something really, really dark there. Um, it got so bad uh, that we actually um, had done some research, and a professor had told this couple that these um, statues were, uh, this one that I, I picked up on, 
used to be a uh, a god, some tribal god of possession, and where in this tribe, what the the leader would do or the um, head person would do would uh, they would kill the witch doctor or uh, of another tribe, and they would uh, cut the face off of the victim and wear put the that face over theirs to you know, so-called absorb the energy and the magic powers that they had. Are you kidding me? My gosh, that is gruesome. Yeah, this is, yeah. And mind you, this is what I was seeing, you know, when I first picked up the statue. The other one I didn't get too much from, but this one I I definitely did. And so I set it down immediately on the ground, and I felt like it was looking at me. So I turned it, uh, so its backs were to me. And as I'm talking to the clients and I'm telling them what I was picking up psychically off of, of their house and everything, and they're, they're kind of sitting there. I see one of my investi- team investigators looking at me, and they have this very strange look on their face, and I see them pick up their camera and start kind of snapping some pictures. And so I'm trying to stay focused, you know, with what I'm doing. And afterwards, they had told me that the reason they were taking pictures is that these – I had set them down and, you know, turned the back to them, and when we looked back down, these things were facing towards me again. And, lovely, uh, lovely. You know, right. And so eventually uh, they wanted to sell these things, which I had advised them against because of, you know, you don't ever want to, if you have something that may be haunted or has an attachment, the last thing you want to do is knowingly sell it for personal gain. It's like the worst thing you could ever, you know, do. And we seem like with the divot box things that, you know, happen when you do that. So I advised them not to. They were never able to sell it, but the activity in their house got worse. Uh, the husband was becoming quite psychotic. He was uh, paranoid. He was sitting up all night uh, with a shotgun sitting in a rocking chair in the middle of his uh, living room. So they, you know, pleaded me for months to come and, and take this thing and try to find somewhere to to put it. So I actually went in... Um, got it, and I didn't really want to be responsible for it, so I said that, you know, I would take it over to a university here where I live and see if they would possibly be interested in using it for educational value or anything like that, and I took it to the um, university, and they said, you know, they weren't interested because there was, you know, no testing on it to be, to validate that it was, you know, a tribal artifact, nothing had been done with it. So, you know, they were like, we don't take things on loan, you know, so it's like you could either donate it fully to us or we're not interested. So I didn't do that. And so I wanted to give them back to, you know, trying to figure out, give it back to the uh, clients. They didn't want it. How did you finally and, dispose of it? Well, it, strangely enough, I still have them to this day. Um, I had them in my garage for a while, and about um, a couple weeks after I had them, I, I you know I got them right away and I bound them. I you know put salt around them and did a binding on them so I wouldn't be affected. And it was not uh, effective. And I started having activity at my home where like my doors were literally unlocking and opening by themselves at between three and three thirty in the morning. Lovely and. So we we went and um, they're now in a storage where they will stay. But we kind of uh, had made plans to finally, after a year, we went, we did the cleansing of their home and their property. We brought a shaman, the whole nine yards. We got rid of all the activity in their home. They thought we were the best people in the whole wide world. Um, Then three weeks later, they went to Oregon and uh, they went into this, shop that sold ancient, you know, uh, figurines and things like that, 
and they told this story to the shopkeeper, and the shopkeeper, you know, said, well, I'll give you $100 for him if you give him, get him for me. And so they contacted me, you know, after, you know, like I said, a year going back and forth trying to get them to take them, and they wouldn't. Um, they called me and said, you know, hey, we've decided now we want, uh, we changed our mind again for the third time. Now we want them because somebody will buy them. Oh, good and Lord. And they just welcomed it back no. into their house. Right. And I said, no, I wouldn't give them back to them. So, good for you. Um, Christina, we're out of time. I'm, I'm oh. sorry. This is, uh, it whipped right by. We'll have to have you on again, but thank you so much. Uh, we point out the website is DTM. WickedRadio.com, DTMWickedRadio.com. We've hooked up to uh, your site at RichardSerrett.com. We'll just click on Christina's name. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Tim Spreen, as always, Albert Vinzel. Back next week with a brand new program for you. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.